0: So at this point, the story is all too familiar. It's another town, another assault rifle, another tragic loss of lives. And the next few days are full of headlines, vigils, rallies, loads of interviews. And for me, it's a situation where it felt like very cyclical. We would hear about one of these things. We'd be met with it on the news. You'd get an alert across your phone. You'd go through a significant amount of s- different emotions. You would feel the pull to do something to make action to change the situation and eventually life would take over and the cycle would repeat itself on the next one and that was very much something i could relate to and maybe something you could too until monday july 4th 2022 when this came to my hometown. See, on on that day, I went to our 4th of July parade with my family, and this is a parade we go to every year, with the exception of the past two years, secondary to the pandemic. And it's a very important holiday for my family. We really enjoy it. And one of the unique things about our parade is that they do a kid and pet parade right before the parade starts. It's a situation where you can go with your family, and the kids get to be... on the parade route as people are putting their stuff down and wave and do all the fun stuff that the actual parade people will get to do and we have done this also every year and this year was no exception so we went on the kid and pet parade my kids were in an electric little car that they have that they love driving and we're walking our dog and we walked along central avenue as we usually do right through an area that was going to eventually become the headline of the day We walked past about a block and a half. We met some friends and we waited for the parade and 25 minutes later, our lives would be changed. See, at that time, somebody decided to open fire on this parade, at which point me and my family saw the high school marching band coming down the street and disperse in which they were throwing instruments, sprinting and running and yelling shots fired. We grabbed our family and we ran into the local business right behind us and sheltered in that basement for the next two and a half hours. And frankly, for the first 20 or 30 minutes, we actually had no idea what the situation was. Since that time, it's very difficult to describe what the scene has been locally and certainly within my own family. The emotions seem to ebb and flow on a daily basis. One minute you feel better, another moment you're met by a significant amount of emotion, and it's very difficult to see what life is going to look like as you get further away. One of the things that I noticed was that initially I felt a lot of anger and felt that gun violence was something I wanted to show a lot of activism towards. And certainly this was met with similar feelings on social media by other people or in the media itself. And this is the cycle that happens. But one of the things that I didn't see circulate as much, at least in the same amount of vigor or The same amount of energy behind it was what it would be like to be the people dealing with the tragedy. Because at this point, this has become so common that you can feel secondary trauma when you see it happen to other towns. And you wonder if it'll ever happen to your town. But when it does, you can't prepare yourself for what you're going to feel and what you're going to see and what you're going to do and how you're going to talk about it. And honestly, what comes next? I wasn't sure if this is something I wanted to address on our podcast. It's a complex set of emotions, and I wanted to make sure that we were being authentic to who we were as a podcast, but in addition, being authentic in a sense that this is not an attempt to take this event and turn it into something that is going to get a lot of attention. But at the same time, this is something that really affects me and honestly affects everybody who is aware of the event and has someone that they love. Whether you live in the community like mine or you live across the country and you were watching the news. It, is a situation where it's difficult to process and I ultimately felt like the best thing that I could do was give my story talk about what this felt like for me and then frankly bring on somebody who has seen this in many people both with gun violence and other forms of trauma and let that person really tell us what others go through what we're feeling what our bodies are trying to do, and what comes next. So that's what we're going to do. Stick around on the one-week anniversary of the shooting at the Highland Park 4th of July parade. This podcast is going to take a look at the mental and physical processes that we go through after trauma such as gun violence.
1: Hey friends, it's me, Julie.
0: And Jeremy. And today, more than ever, we're still asking.
1: Hey man, what the health?
0: Hey, Julie, thanks for being here. Looking forward to having this conversation. Um, We've obviously talked a lot off air um, Mm -hmm. and and, um, went through my thought process on wanting to to have this conversation. Um, So I really appreciate you being here to do this.
1: Anytime, dude. It's great to see your face, as always.
0: So I oriented everybody uh, in the intro. Um, Clearly, this past week has been... uh, pretty traumatic for, for my community and myself. Um, the things that I have, have struggled with the most is kind of the fluctuation in emotion and, and maybe even being able to label, um, what the emotions are. I, 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 for a while, I, when people asked how, you know, the number one question you get is how are you? Um, and I take that question seriously, you know, like the one where you're walking down the hallway and people are like, how's your day going? And you're like, good. And, and how's your day going? Good. And it's just like everybody says good to everything. And so people are like, how are you? And I like try to give them a real answer. I, I the number one thing I kept saying, I felt like was like, I'm, I'm kind of confused. I'm not really sure how I am, to be honest. Um, and sometimes I feel normal. Um, and those times are weird because I feel normal. And so sometimes I feel guilty that I feel normal. Um Or, or I see, you know, things happening in, in the community and, and, you know, whether that be like vigils or, or things that are happening with activism. And I, I feel guilt that I'm not a part of it or, or I should be doing more, right? Like the, the inactivity of it all. But then there's other times where just randomly I, I, I visualize something from the day and, and it kind of like stops you in your tracks, almost like you, almost like a bad dream in a weird way. Um, and I don't, I personally haven't had the moment where like, I get emotional and like breaking down per se, but it's certainly kind of like, I completely lose my train, my train of thought. Um, and I just, it, it it's as almost as if I wasn't there the minute before. Um, and I kind of have to regroup myself and I, I went to work the, I went to work the day after, um, and I saw patients, uh, that day and, 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 it's it was kind of poor timing. I, I I had COVID the week before and had already gotten a huge backload of patients and felt kind of obligated to to go in, and at the same time also was kind of like I'm not sure what I would do at home if I wasn't seeing the patients. So I I, I went in, and I honestly I completely underestimated what that experience was going to be because I, I emotionally I was I was okay. Although I will say I was in the car and the first sign that it was not going to be a normal day was I. The first thing I always listen to when I get in the car is the NPR update. It's just like a five minute tells you what's going on in the day. And we were the lead story. And I don't know why I didn't anticipate that, but I like I pushed it and it played and I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, it just was like a weird start to the day. And then, of course, like even even like the other, you know, like I just had to kind of avoid some podcasts at that point um, because it it just I I didn't need it from outside sources at that point. But I got to work and I was like, I'm going to be able to see patients. And I struggled the whole day, the whole day. I could not focus. I could not focus. People were telling me their problem. And I, I definitely didn't have any feelings like your problem is minimal and my problem is much bigger. So like, why are you giving me your problem? It was more so like, okay, I'm engaged. Okay, I'm not engaged. Okay, I'm engaged. Okay, I'm not engaged. And, and I think from talking to to friends and family around the area or neighbors, I think everybody kind of had similar days in that way. Like they, a lot of like, I just sat at my computer and stared at it for three hours. That it's just not the similar job type. Right. But, but that day was really, really bad. And luckily I don't see patients on Wednesday and, and, and it was able to spend time with the kids. We, we went to like the farmer's market, um, which is a regular activity that's in the community. And it felt good to have that, that, that like up and going and, and just to kind of walk around and, and do that. And then we actually, at that point, um, so we went back to the place that afternoon to where we, the, the, the business that we had hid in the basement. Um, so the, the name of that place is Bright Bowls. It's a kind of like a smoothie cafe place. Um, and, and I've, I feel a lot of uh, debt to that place. Um, a lot. Um, and so we went back, brought them flowers and, and met with them and talked for a while. And, and, and we have some connections through friends of knowing, like they know the owners. And ironically, one of my best friends showed up at the same time. So it was just this nice little like moment to be able to talk and get to know everybody and, and, and be thankful. Um, we walked into to Bright Bulls at that moment and our blankets and our, and our, and Logan's water bottle was still there because they had grabbed him and brought him in. And that was a very like bring you back moment. Like you walk into this place that I had never been to this place prior to the parade. Um, And so the only time that I have walked into this place with the intention of purchasing something is on the day that there was a shooting in my community. And then to go back to thank them for, you know, like sheltering me and my stuff was in there. And it just kind of brings you back to like, holy shit, that's the stuff that's that that's our stuff. And we grabbed it. It was really it was really, really surreal. And so but it was that day was very healing for me. I, my wife, we have a therapy dog. Our dog is Archie. Julie loves Archie.
1: Oh, Archie's he, the best.
0: Yeah. He's, so he's, he's a nine years old. He's a therapy dog. Um, and, and Katie brought him over to one of the local elementary schools and, and did kind of like they were doing pet therapy. And so she was with him all day there uh, helping out. And I think that was incredibly therapeutic for her, um, just to be able to kind of like, I don't know, just be doing something, but also feel like you're helping. And also, you know there's emotional support in that too. So I think we had a good day on Wednesday. And I think it really rolled over into Thursday and Friday where I felt like I had more normal clinic days. I was able to have better interactions. And and, and the hardest part of it is just you're seeing a lot of people you haven't seen before, not before, but like since the event. And so you kind of reliving it over and over and over again. And people are respectful. And even some of them are like, I wasn't going to say anything, but clearly you're talking about it. I just want you to know I I, I also am thinking of you and I was, I'm just pretty open. I mean, hence we have a podcast, right? <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it because I, I, the alternative doesn't feel so good either. And, and, and yeah. so, you know, I, I, you know, I, it, it went fine. So where am I right now? I, 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 I'm in a much better place than I was on Tuesday. I'm still a little bit, of, I'm not even a little, I'm still a lot confused about what this means overall. I, I don't mm. really understand the ramifications. This feels like it feels like it, we're kind of in that no man's land period, like the acute trauma is over and the long term trauma is just not defined. Yeah. And it's kind of like that middle ground that that just feels a little bit like no man's land, to be yeah. honest. It's just it's 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 hard it's hard to define. So I, I think that's where I am. Um, we had my daughter's birthday today in her backyard. We had to postpone it cause I had COVID. So, um, a little bit of guilt assuaged by having <laughs> said, said party today. And it went well and we had good people over and Julie came over and, and, and it was, it was wonderful. And, and, and just to kind of roll off of that, um, the Tuesday after the shooting, the, my neighborhood spontaneously got together, bought, uh, ton of food from Portillo's and another local restaurant, put up like those little, one little canopy that you kind of like mm-hmm. put up and just everybody came to front yards and we had like 20 adults and 20, you know, 15 kids and people were coming and going and, and we were all friends before. This wasn't a bunch of people coming out that had never met each other that was like, let's come together. I mean, this is, this is something we would have done in the past potentially, but it was really, really cathartic and helpful the day after to do that and everybody just to be together and and talk about their feelings from the day before and what they saw and just tell their story and and spontaneously it happened again the next day but not with the same food and not at the same house but it was the same exact concept and it kind of just rolled into this like moving potluck that is just was was wonderful so connection yeah. and in community was so important and, and and was really highlighted and it was really really helpful so you know I think I've I think I've Probably spent enough time kind of talking about my how my head has kind of gone through the whole thing. In the introduction, I gave a little bit of background of what happened. I just give a little brief, like, overview of the story again. Again, on, on July 4th, we went to the Highland Park parade. My family and I do the pet and um, kid parade where we walk through and everything was normal. We walked. The parade route, we walked through the intersection that this guy ends up blowing up with all these bullets 25 minutes before he does it and go down to our spot and are watching the parade and the fire trucks come by. My son loved that. And then the like four Navy people came by and then I, I feel like there was one other thing that came by, maybe even like some politicians and stuff came by. And then the band was coming down the street and the way that ours is set up is like, it's a Hill kind of w- down where we are. So all I, all I can see is really the band coming down. I can't see the next thing's coming, but at that point you're looking up and the band just all of a sudden dispersed. It was, I, I described it kind of like one of those fireworks that just goes off. They ran every which direction and there's instruments flying and they ran past us. And I remember talking to you about this, Julie on the day of, cause we had a conversation, um, they ran into two tables that were behind us that was from the restaurant and they broke two candles. They were like big glass candles. They like fell and broke. And the sound of glass breaking was one of the moments that I both can viscerally feel and hear right at this moment. But in addition was one of those moments that kind of like woke me up. I grabbed my son and we ran back into the business because prior to that, it was kind of like, what is going on? They were yelling "shots fired," but like you just don't really know, and also like you don't think that that's what's going to happen. Our our town is incredibly safe. This has been well publicized. I don't need to go over all the data about Highland Park. The band dispersed. It broke the thing. We ran into the the basement, and at that point, we had no idea what was going on. And the first thing I did naturally, well, we got back into the back corner. The first thing I did was I, I figured I had to go to Twitter. Because like nothing's going to be reported at this yeah, point, right? Yeah, that's
1: where the that's where the first things usually. happen. Somebody
0: probably tweeted something, right? Mm-hmm. And so, or if it isn't shooting, somebody's going to start tweeting like, "Why is everybody running around? Like mm-hmm. you, nothing's going on, whatever." And somebody tweeted the only tweet I saw was somebody said, "Possibly shots fired at Highland Park." Just got a uh, parade. Just got out of there. That's all it was. And I and I re- I think I even responded and said, "Is it confirmed? Or like, can anybody comment on it?" And there was nothing for a while. And like 10 minutes later, you started to see a little bit more posting from random people of like, there's a shooting, they're shooting, whatever. And then I think about 20 minutes or so after it happened, the SunTimes posted that it was real, that that somebody would, shot, there's bodies down, people are, it, it's not good. And so then it became really real that something was happening above us in the, in the, in, the, um, and then you just didn't really know what the the rest of the time in that basement, you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, when do we leave this basement? Like, when is it safe? I guess in theory, they probably just had to make sure that the, the shooter was taken care of, or if it was more than one person or whatever, but it kind of felt like there was one of those things where we could have been down there forever. Um, and my, the basement of this place had a lot of things in it. Like they have their, the, the owners of this place have their own kids. And so the, there was like a random assortment of crayons and, like coloring books and play-doh and there was a teacher down there who got everybody in the circle and was doing teacher games and you know the overall feeling down there was actually relatively calm calmer than you think it would have been i i i think everybody was a little bit stunned and also a little bit confused but there was definitely not a lot of panic it was not a lot of like loud noises or anything also the dogs were there there were like three or four dogs so (laughs) that always makes things a little bit better (laughs) one would expect And so eventually there's all these rumors going around and you can never feel, you're never finding out what the real thing is. It's like, oh, he's blockaded in Sunset Foods and he's got hostages. I mean, that lasted for a while. And Sunset Foods is basically right next to where we were. And so you're like, and, and that rumor got legs for a while. And so you're like, okay, well, that's not good. Like we're right by that. Um, but overall, just to kind of like fast forward it a little bit, it's just this purgatory of not knowing what's going to happen and getting information and having 7,000 text messages come in. I have a distinct memory. I sent my mom a text message when we first went down to the basement. Like there may have been a shooting we're in the basement and she didn't respond. And like, a, I don't know, five minutes later, I called her and I was like, she was like, hi, how are you? And I was like, did you check your text messages? And she was like, no, I was like, there may be a shooting we're in a basement. And then obviously the tone changed, but it's just one of those like, it, the news traveled so fast. We were getting texts from people across the country within 10 minutes of the announcement that it was real. It's just amazing how quickly news news can spread. So so ultimately, the way that we were evacuated out of this place was the police were alerted that we were in there, which is really good, right? So that they, they know people are down there. And then eventually what they did was they barricaded kind of like with with police protection, the driveway in front of it. It, it was just a parking lot. And then mm-hmm. they basically would bring up individual groups, kind of keep you low and kind of duck down and then have you file into a car. The car would go out to the street and turn right, which is West, away from this and just drive. And so we got brought up eventually, our our, our neighbors um, – had a car that was close by. Our car was all the way back at the library, which is on the complete opposite side of this parade. We're not getting to that car. And so we just kind of shoved into that car. I was in the trunk with, with Archie. It was me, Archie, the trunk, oh. and, and, and two and a set of golf clubs. And it was not comfortable. <laughs> I was say, that seems but, awful. But it was the most comfort I'd felt in a while, right? My knees yeah. hurt, but my mind felt better. Yeah. Um, and so we drove and then we everybody was kind of like catatonic in that car. The kids were fine. They had no idea what was going on for the most part. I at least from what I could tell. And we drove home and we got to the house and then they hadn't st- they still hadn't found the shooter yet. So we were in the house and they we shut all the blinds and windows and and whatever and we just kind of hung out and tried to watch the news, but then we also have these young kids and you don't want them to like also be watching the news with you and and so it was just a complete balance the whole day. And once they what the rest of it just kind of folds into what I already talked to you about. It's incredibly traumatic because you, you, I, I, I think I also said this in our introduction, but you, this feels so cyclical at this point, Julie. It just kind of feels mm-hmm. like you're waiting just like, when's the next alert on my phone going to be of a mass shooting? And then I'm going to get angry and then I'm going to be sad. And then I'm going to see a bunch of stuff on social media and posts about guns And then it's going to have steam for a while and then nothing's going to happen. And then it's going to cyclically happen again. And you, our kids have to do these shooter drills now at school where they have to like go and, you know, like pretend there's an active shooter and you think to yourself, like, I really hope that never happens to my family. And you're glad that they're kind of preparing for it, but you never really think it's going to happen to you. You'd like to say that you're, being, na- I guess it's kind of naive at this point, but definitely in the in the community that I lived in, I never thought this would happen. It's one of those ones where you're like, we need to change something. I'm enraged by this whole thing, but it's not going to happen here. Like, yeah, we just I'm need protected to- where I am. Right. We need to mobilize and make sure it happen doesn't happen other places. And so when it happens here, it's just incredibly confusing. As I go back to my first word that I said, our downtown is still closed um, to my knowledge, and it's just like, what's I, I think the restaurants around it, not downtown, the whole thing, but like the center area where this happened. And I think the businesses around it have been doing well. Like the restaurants have been full from what I could tell. And that's great. It's just going to be weird. It's just like, it. it's never going to be the same. So um, just quickly, one more point that, the active shooter drills, I think, were helpful for me in this case, because when we went down in the basement and my five-year-old, or she just turned five, was asking some questions, I was able to kind of say to her, remember when you guys do the active shooter drills, I didn't say shooter, when you guys do those drills where you have to hide and pretend that you're, you know, or not uh, uh, hide so that you guys are safe just in case there's danger or a bad guy at school, that we're kind of doing that. And then she, she's so five, she looked up at me and she goes, but those end really fast. <laughs> and And so I... And I had to explain that this is, you know, this one's not pretend we, we, we just need to make sure we're safe and we could be here a while, but it's the same concept. And, and, and so it was nice to have that context, right. To kind of like explain what we were doing. And then later on that day, she asked, um, I remember two questions that she asked. She asked, um, the, did the bad guy have a weapon, um, of which we said, yes. Yes. She didn't ask any follow ups and didn't seem to be fine with that answer. And then the second uh, question happened at the end of the night. Uh, we did our whole bedtime routine, and the last thing I said to her was, "Like, do you have any questions that you want to ask from today?" Um, and she said, "Where did the bad?" She either said, "Where did the bad guy come from?" or "Why was there a bad guy?" Something like that. Um, and there's no good answer to that question. I said, "We don't know. We don't know where, why, or where, and and, and we may never know the answer to that." And she seemed okay with that that answer. And those are the only two questions she's asked, and we haven't had any questions since. We did have her attend the same thing that our dog was at, and she did sit down with a counselor who um kind of had you know she drew a picture and kind of like had a conversation back and forth. Um, and so I we're following her lead, but there's no there's no I don't think there's yet books on what to do with this. Maybe there are books on what to do with this, but it does seem like it's incredibly common, and so I think that's kind of a good transition point. Julie, I've done so much talking in this. I obviously I feel like obviously there's a reason why I'm doing all the talking, but yeah. the the main thing, like besides telling my story and hoping that that people could glean something from hearing it from somebody who was there firsthand and and somebody who has a little platform for it. I felt that our show was an excellent platform to kind of try to give people resources and empowerment about these situations because these are happening so frequently, it's going to touch you in some form or fashion. And frankly, even if you're never, and I hope you are never in this situation, you're going to see it on the news. And in that regard, you are still affected by it in in some form or fashion. So... What I thought would be really really helpful because i I I have used the word confused so many times is to help somebody's kind of label some of this confusion and tell us kind of what what do people experience in these situations and and what to expect a little bit and maybe help you know kind of put some of this unknown that I'm feeling maybe into better words what are others kind of like feeling? And ultimately when somebody can tell us what are others feeling, like also say like, what comes next? Like, what are we going to, what are the next steps? You know what I'm saying?
1: I know what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, I think you said it very well. <laughs> so thank you very much, Jeremy. Um, I I think that's a great pivot point to talk and introduce our our wonderful expert guest who is a dear, dear friend of mine for many years, probably more years than I want to count. Um, this is Rose Mativier. So, Rose Mativier, my friend, she's a licensed clinical professional counselor, and she's actually the intake director at Midwest Counseling and Diagnostics in Chicago, where we live, where I live. Um, she has extensive experience working with adolescents and adults providing individual and group therapy related to a, a wide range of issues, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and self-injury. Um, she got her undergrad in psychology and Italian from the University of Colorado and a master's in clinical um and counseling psychology from illinois state university she's board certified with the national board of certified counselors she's also certified in emdr which i think is so rad and trained in dbt uh as an aside rose loves all things related to interspecies animal friendships videos <laughs> i love that and will drop a star trek or star wars reference into therapy any chance that she gets so we are so so fortunate to have rose with us today Um, so thank you so much, Rose, for, for being with us and, and facilitating this conversation and helping our listeners to, um, to, to really learn some, some important information.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here and be able to hopefully shed some light on, uh, Jeremy, what you've experienced, the confusion that you're talking about, what others I know have experienced and the stories that I've heard others kind of tell about, what's happened. Um so I'm happy to help and uh provide any information I can
0: one of the things that has really stood out to me is that the ability to get involved with action, whether it be on the let's change policy, let's get rid of guns, let's you know, like organize as a community and rebuild, let's donate is really well publicized. It, it like those, those resources almost like are smack you in the face after this, at least in my experience, right? I'm it's in my n of one experience, but I do feel like it is not necessarily as it definitely has not been nearly as accessible to understand the process, like what you're going to go through and what, what you're going to feel, and 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 what others are also going through and feeling, and so I really feel this is going to be super valuable for people. So thank you for being on, Julie. Let's let's uh, see what she has to offer.
1: <laughs> oh, that's it. I like that challenge. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so just yeah, exactly, well, Jeremy. Like what you were saying, how does this relate to other people how How can we make connections into Jeremy's experience to the our our you know community experience so it's just like in the aftermath of trauma first off like what would even be considered like typical or normal feelings and behaviors that people who are exposed to a traumatic event experience i mean i know jeremy mentioned several of them um what what are your responses to that rose when you were absorbing all that information with me
2: yeah um just how typical that experience feels um that the normal response is to feel completely abnormal. And I love um, actually working with and talking to people in healthcare and medicine because trauma is fundamentally a physiological experience. Um, It's not something that you can think your way out of. In fact, the intellectual parts of your brain that understand what's happening are operating so slowly and at a different kind of wavelength than your nervous system that is responding to trauma. Um, It's, it's not something you can sort of seek to understand or make a choice. Right. And so we experience this moment that puts our body into a survival protocol that was programmed hundreds of thousands of years ago. And that stress response, um, you know, gets you to do things without thinking, gets your body in motion, gets you moving, gets you blocking out content that's not relevant because you just need to fight like hell or run like hell. And that's it. So once you run from the bear, in this case, unfortunately, running from a shooter, which is more common and common these days, the hard part is coming to terms with the unexpected nature of what happened, the powerlessness that you felt in that moment, the brain wants to go back in time under the best of circumstances. Our brain tends to want to go back in time and pick things apart and look at it from 17,000 different angles. There's probably times you know in our life where we're just like sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, remember I said that stupid thing seven years ago? Oh, that was so dumb. Our brain is constantly assessing <laughs> what happened in the past and is constantly uh, – it's a wonderful – Worst case scenario machine that's also constantly projecting into the future all the terrible things that could happen so that we can avoid it. Um, But the problem is that our body reacts to even just thinking about those things. So after a traumatic event, you're having a physiological response and the body being able to come down from that sympathetic nervous system kind of fight or flight response takes a long time. But it's complicated by the fact that our body also responds to thoughts that we have, So you can think about a difficult conversation you have to have with somebody, and your heart starts racing. There's zero physiological reason. there's nothing happening There's no thing in that room. There's no reason for your heart to start racing, and yet it does just because you had a thought, right? You can do relaxation imagery. your heart rate goes down. There's no reason that your heart or blood should flow any different, but because you thought something it did. so right? So, Jeremy, you're saying you were in that store and it just brought you right back there, that memory, right? You know, intellectually, you're not there, but your nervous system just got transported back there immediately. Um, Hearing it on the news, talking with people, those things can be helpful to kind of continue to bring it up, but it's especially in the initial aftermath going to bring about strong physiological responses that are really confusing and it's going to come and go in waves, So you're just sitting there, you're, you know, fine, brushing your teeth, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, consumed with emotion for seemingly no reason. It's really hard to concentrate, it's hard to focus, Um, feeling on edge, feeling restless, or the other side of the spectrum is just kind of feeling shut down, feeling really disconnected. And this is just kind of how our body and our nervous system is recalibrating. Our brain is recalibrating after such a massive event that basically every single resource in your body got put on 110%, like everything got turned up to 11 And so returning to a normal baseline after that takes time. So feeling really agitated, feeling, like I said, restless, hypervigilant, a high startle response, <clears throat> feeling shut down. Uh, feeling intrusive thoughts or images just kind of popping into your head out of nowhere. Remembering things—a really big one, a big one that I've heard from a lot of parents, and and one that I can imagine myself—is imagining, you know, especially with the kids, um, you know, imagining that moment that you grabbed them. What would have happened to them? Uh, what if we had sat there instead of there? What if I ran this way instead of that way? And just kind of replaying that over and over, and kind of feeling plagued by the, the even the thought that something you know, could have happened. Um, and that's, that's if you got out unscathed where, you know, nothing did happen, right? Much less if something actually did happen where you, you experienced the loss of somebody or you were yourself a victim in this. So, there's uh, basically a whole massive array of symptoms that people are going to experience where again, the normal response is to feel completely abnormal. There's not a way to handle this. Like, there's no way to like emotionally go through this. Um, like everything's fine. And if you did, like, that's what I would say is the problem.
0: I feel like the one thing you really hit on there that, that I can say with that shows up all the time. And maybe has been one of the hardest parts is all the what ifs. There's so many what ifs, and it's just like, it almost feels like your brain is like, trying to create a new ending in your head but like yeah. there, but like there is no new ending and so it's just like a bunch of like what if stories of like it's oh it's going to be a different ending this time
2: well and again the brain just wants to kind of consider things from a thousand different angles and especially when something happens that's threatening we want to really understand that right because I want to make sure that never happens again or even comes close to happening so I really need to understand and dissect every part of this But again, the problem is that you're thinking what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, Um, then you're kind of subjecting your body to kind of playing out the scenario in your head and then experiencing in your body, like the punch in the gut that you probably feel or the muscle tension or the rise in heart rate that's happening. So as much as we experience confusion, distraction, physiological symptoms, waves of emotion Compartmentalization, pretty much every uh, everything under the sun. Uh, the, the The good news is that we find our way back, and our body does adjust. Um, that we do find, uh, you know, our way back to some kind of reasonable baseline. I think one of the best things that I've heard about trauma is, um, though, I know I'll be okay, but I'll never be the same. And I think that that's you know, apart from. <laughs> the initial physiological response to that trauma then is kind of making sense of something that will never make sense, right? And kind of finding meaning from that. And you alluded to this, Jeremy, the importance of community, the importance of connection in kind of finding a way through that. And so there's sort of the physiological response that we're dealing with in the immediate aftermath, but then also the grief um, that comes after that uh, in, in so many different ways.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Rose. I think that was a really very great, very dense, very meaty kind of synopsis of sort of what... You don't want to say the word normal, but like what what is typical? It's like when when patients ask us, what's what's normal to feel when I have knee arthritis? What's normal to feel? And normal, I mean, define normal. (laughs) It's a great podcast, by the way. But (laughs) it's really like... It, it's interesting and it's great to have experts like you and people that are so well-trained and have experience to sort of make folks feel not alone and not crazy and not that they, that they can't lean on their communities or their families or their friends or other resources. And I guess leading into that, it's sort of like, where do we go? Where, where does a person who's experienced a trauma, where do they go from, the, from there from when it just happens when when do you feel like they should be seeking help or I mean I'm sure people can do it any time but like talk me through like when when exposure to an event like this I don't know when you think it becomes the the feelings and the behaviors become pathological I mean that can that must be a very gray area what what do you think
2: right and uh, I think the biggest thing is and and just my also personal lens is to um, like, there's, we don't want to pathologize the human experience, right? Any, you know, again, like I said, if somebody was able to walk through this in, in a non-emotional way, unaffected way, that would be concerning to me. Um, so we are expected to fall apart after something like this. We're expected to feel um, confused, the waves, um, super amped, not at all amped, shutting down, all of those things. Um, So acute stress disorder was put in the uh, DSM to define kind of this month-long period following a trauma where you're experiencing um, really the the facets of trauma of of post-traumatic stress disorder, acute stress disorder are avoidance, um, arousal, and re-experiencing. So the re-experiencing is like the flashbacks, the intrusive thoughts, nightmares, things like that. The avoidance is I don't want to ever go by that street again. I don't want to ever see this thing again. You're avoiding anything that might remind you of it. Um, and the arousal that your your physical response, your physiology is responding in a really heightened way when you're kind of around that. The biggest factor, though, in what creates um, the distinction between a normal response and a disorder, as we would identify it in the psychology world, the DSM, is that it must cause impairment to your functioning, right? It stops you from being able to go to work. you're not sleeping, your relationships are suffering because of it. When it reaches that point, that's when we would sort of classify that as a diagnosis. Um, So, if it's causing an impairment to functioning, that's really important. All of us get depressed. All of us have anxiety. All of us have the full range of human emotion. But if it's getting in your way of living the life that you would like to live, then that's a problem. So, acute stress disorder is basically that trauma response within the first two to four weeks following a traumatic event that is causing an impairment to your functioning and post-traumatic stress disorder is the same thing, but you know, after a month after something that's lasting longer than that uh, from the time of the trauma and um, being able to uh, seek help anytime too, seeking help, even if it's not causing an impairment to functioning, I think is so important, especially in the first couple of weeks, the ways that people have just connected with community, um, sought you know, either the crisis or grief counselors that were available, saw their own therapists, talked with families and friends. That helps the healing process because most trauma does not result in post-traumatic stress disorder. A very small percentage of people who experience trauma actually then go on to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's not like this guarantee. It's not like, oh, I, I'm done now. I've experienced it. I have PTSD. And even if you do... Um, have a diagnosis of PTSD, that doesn't mean, no, this is the way I am now forever. It's really about being able to kind of, again, bring the arousal down and the avoidance of triggers and the re-experiencing down. So um, really in the initial phases is connection, regulating your body. Um, That's why a lot of grounding and coping and breathing resources are are talked about, movement, connection. The um, Chicago Botanic Gardens opened up uh, free to uh, I think I think everybody, but I think it was meant specifically for residents of Highland Park to just be able to connect with nature. I thought that was such a great, such a great thing because that's really yeah. um, such a big piece of it. Jeremy, your your community getting together and just kind of having hot dogs, right? Like that's yeah. healing.
1: Mm-hmm. Jeremy, I was when I was trying to drive back from your from from the birthday party today, we had to reroute around. There was. At least six blocks of cars lining up to go to the botanic garden yeah. to all have community together. It was it was a really a sight to behold. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Rose, because it was at first <laughs> my husband Adam and I were like, What the hell's this? <laughs> then I realized what a wonderful thing it was. And of course, everybody it's always easy to get pissed off when you're in the car and you're trying to get to another right. place. But the stupid traffic. Oh, that's yeah. really oh, of cause, all these wonderful I'm people trying okay. to have a hot talk together at the garden. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm going to be sad about that for a while, but that was a lovely thing to bring up.
2: So, yeah, I mean, it's regulating the body, connecting to other individuals, um, being able to process and storytell, just kind of being able in a in a space with other people who've experienced that, too, is really important. A lot of times, when people experience something like this, they don't feel comfortable telling their story to other people because they um, feel like others won't understand. They feel like there's some sort of metric on what was bad enough to warrant a bad reaction. Um, a lot of people have said, well, I didn't know anybody that was actually hurt by it, but I was there. Like, it could have been worse, right? You're trauma still matters. Um, uh, Or or burdening people not wanting to like be the bummer in the crowd that's talking about this. So um, I know that Highland Park has set up a number of free resources for social support groups, peer led support groups, um, to just have a space to talk about it. And it doesn't have to be in that kind of counseling venue, you can talk about it with friends and family, and not in like big prolonged ways, even just kind of, you know, it comes up. in small conversations, and then you move on to something else and talk about your favorite podcast. And then it comes back, (laughs) you know, gosh, remember that day. And so that's, um, uh, you know, that really important piece, right? Just regulating the body, connecting to community, making sense of it, and moving forward. And and it will eventually, um, you know, come back to a baseline. But like I said, you know, I know I'll be okay, but I'll never be the same was the, the best description that I could think of.
1: The idea of having like guilt or shame about your own grief is like the saddest fucking thing I could ever think of. You know what I mean? Right. Like the concept of that my, my trauma isn't bad enough for me to feel sad about it or, or to ask right. for help or to share my story. And I'm really glad you brought that up Rose. Cause gosh, sometimes I just need, I think that needs to be said out loud that that's not true and it's not fair. Um, and and I think sometimes people need to hear that because, yeah, it, we're all, you know, a lot. A lot of us right. think you're fine. You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're going to be fine. Yeah, I, I, it's it's not a big deal. I didn't even get hurt. It's not. I I don't want people to think that I'm weak or I'm I'm stronger than this. I I I you know I need to be the strong one for my family, and I I think that's really important. Um, important point that you brought across, Rose, is that that there's no. There's no normal response to this type of grief and trauma. And I don't think people it's, I just, I would love if people could unburden themselves of their own guilt and shame.
2: Right. Related can to anything. It
1: right? could <laughs> always be worse. Oh yeah, of course. And
2: so if we use that as a metric for what, how I'm allowed to feel, um, then that, that the, it's not a race to the bottom. It doesn't get us anywhere. I still feel the way that I feel. That doesn't take that away. If I decide I shouldn't feel that way, I am traumatized. I do feel Horrible. I was affected by this. I think everybody that that was in this particular um, and in all of these scenarios, nobody expects it. This massive carpet gets pulled out from underneath absolutely everybody in a horrifying and powerless way. Everybody is reacting the same way. They're not thinking in that moment. They're reacting, and you know, just like I said, Jeremy, that the reactions that you had, like that's that's the typical response in trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense yeah
0: you you stirred up a couple things but the the, what what you guys just touched on is is incredibly applicable to to my own personal experience of the con we're, we're naturally i feel like comparative society. We, we, we like to compare ourselves to something or someone. And so even in an experience when everybody is experiencing trauma, there's that feeling of like, well, somebody else had it worse than me and I don't understand why I feel so bad. Like, so in my case, I didn't actually hear the gunshots or see it actually happen. So you know, like somebody else has got to be worse than me, right? Situation. But in other ways, I'm so thankful because my, my kids do not have to have that visualization in their head. They don't have to, to, they never heard or saw it. So I don't have to cross that bridge that other people do. But even so that there's, there's like, um, you know, I had a couple neighbors who were out of town, right. And they just feel, you know, the initial thought is to feel guilty that you weren't there you know, because it's something that you usually would have gone to and, and it, it, it's a valid feeling, but it it just falls into that. Like traumas felt in all facets of this. It doesn't, you don't have to be present to feel the trauma of it. Certainly being present or having other experiences can heighten Mm -hmm. it or change it. um, But everybody feels it differently. So Right. I, I just feel like what you talked about right there was very, very applicable to kind of what I felt because again, we didn't see it or hear it. Right.
2: But and we hid I mean, in the basement. People too, that were distant, um, but that moment of terror, confusion and powerlessness mm-hmm. is really what kind of defines the traumatic nature right. of the experience. And those people didn't know if their family was alive or dead, didn't know where they were, couldn't get a hold of them, couldn't check Twitter enough right to get updates and until they heard from somebody. And it might have been a span of 10 minutes. But in, in trauma time, 10 minutes is a fucking eternity, right? And so that still affects the body. It still affects the brain and the nervous system. It doesn't matter. The nervous system is not comparing like, well, this person had it worse over there, so we're going to tone it down. Like you still have a traumatic response. And it's really important to validate that experience for yourself. And again, share it with people that you feel kind of safe to 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 discuss and process that story with.
0: Right. Um, Rose, the... <sighs> You talked a little bit about this and this is really, there's two questions here, but they're really just the same question asked in different populations, adult and kids. Mm -hmm. But like, that was one of the things that I thought to myself a lot was like, I knew I was going to be okay. I knew I wasn't going to be the same. I knew I was feeling some things, but I didn't really know if I should be doing anything proactively. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know if I should be seeking help, even though I didn't feel I necessarily needed it. And so I'm asking that question for adults. Like like mm-hmm. when you know you've experienced something like this, should people be doing stuff proactively? And I want to follow it up with, again, I'm going to ask the question again when you're done, because I, I want to ask it about kids too, because well, I think it's separate. Not
2: kids. it um, It is. And everybody has a different physiology and brain and emotional background and all of that stuff. And so I want to say like, whatever works for you, works for you. Um, I'm also pretty biased and (laughs) go talk to somebody and it doesn't have to be a therapist. I'm not talking about that, but um, I do think that people need to be proactive in, um, in maybe not necessarily, you know, signing up for therapy the next day, but in, in connecting to your community proactive in being compassionate and gentle with yourself because you're, uh, our concentration is so affected in in uh, post-traumatic response that somebody could ask you like what's two plus two and you'd have to like take a minute and think about it and when you're talking about that you were working the next day and you're like I you know you're probably people are probably saying things and you're like uh, I'm nodding but I'm not getting it and you're like I'm, I'm with you but i I don't think I understood what you just said. We're so disconnected from that. And so being able to really proactively make sure that we're giving ourselves the time to be slow and gentle and compassionate and connected and soothed and safe, whatever proactive things you can do to make sure that you're doing that, acknowledging that you have just been through something really abnormal and terrible, and you need to take some time. And so yes, proactive in that sense, if it feels like it would be helpful to really kind of talk to somebody, um, outside of your family or community, like a therapist, um, or to attend those groups and do something a little bit more formal. Absolutely. That can be super beneficial. And the earlier you do it, the better the outcomes.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. I, I, I want to revisit the kids thing because I, I have two young kids, um, Probably too young to necessarily I, I at least at this point, my assessment is too young to have really absorbed everything or or to a certain extent understood what happened um, but I know that there's a lot of kids that are just a little bit older or maybe were a little bit closer to the situation who who do have a much bigger understanding of it and so I didn't know whether I should be proactively having my children. Assessed. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but basically like put so, in front of somebody that's not myself or or, yeah. or whatnot.
2: And and I would say that um, the answer is that the proactive assessment is done by you. Yeah. In that is there any change in their are they eating differently? Are they sleeping differently? Is their mood markedly different? Obviously, they're probably gonna be a little clingier, quicker to cry. Um, you know, if they don't get that snack, like they seem a little bit more (laughs) like upset about it than usual. So there's probably a little bit more intensity, but if they're, you know, really not, um, able to soothe themselves, if they can't, you know, if their anxiety, those sorts of things really seem markedly higher than they are, then yes, I would say probably that's worth, uh, you know, getting an assessment or going to a counselor again, kind of utilizing the community supports and services. With kids, it's difficult because they're not processing things in the same cognitive way that we are as adults because their brain is literally not developed in a way to to foster that kind of processing so they're usually processing things in much more expressive ways through drawings through uh, you know i don't know if you've ever had a deep conversation with your kid where you're like my my daughter's about the same age and like she'll ask a question i'm like oh this is it like i'm gonna have this like amazing conversation with her and tell her how the world works it's gonna be so awesome and i give her like the best reply ever and i feel really good about it and she's like oh um do you have any goldfish? <laughs> like, I, I'm like, oh, oh my God. I just said the most amazing thing to you, and you don't even care. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh,
0: so, that's how Jeremy like, feels with me all the time. That's why <laughs> on this I, show. That's why I started a podcast so I could record the good things I say, and somebody will and care. Just,
2: yeah, it was somebody butterfly. will care exactly. So, like, just knowing that that's their normal like level of cognitive. So, to to have these conversations to um, start on our end, and for our us to say all these amazing things. They're not going to understand it. But having an open invitation constantly with your kids, if you have any questions, if you get scared, if you want to know anything, anything, I am available, ask me anytime. And all you can do is is open that invitation to them and they will take you up on it in small, tiny ways, large ways, um, two weeks from now, tomorrow, like it, it, they may not respond right away they may not necessarily respond at all all you can do is just continue to leave the invitation very open to them and engage in as much um hugging cuddling blanket engaged time, active time with them, maybe have a board game night, maybe do drawing with them because to kids, what safety means is attachment to caregivers. Hmm. And so if mom and dad are around, if parents are available and they're hugging on me and they're cool, then my world is cool. And they're really not bothered by much else.
1: Yeah,
0: that was so high yield that was really Yeah, good. totally. Was, I love really like these really moments good. when it's like,
1: perfect, like just exact. And I, and I wanted to piggyback on that moving forward, Rose. You, know, you don't have to go into like absolute, you know, detail, but what are some of the strategies and sort of a little bit of insider information I guess I'm looking for is like, what, what are some of the interventions that therapists and mental health professionals utilize to treat trauma? What are some of the evidence-based, like what, what, what's the good stuff that you can offer? Like, say I come into your, and you do not want to be my therapist. But say, right.
2: say, there's already some say, ethical
1: issues. Say here. a hypothetical person <laughs> was coming to yeah. see you with who had gone through a major trauma like this, ex- an mm-hmm. exposure to a trauma like this. Like what, what are some um, evidence-based strategies you would employ for that person potentially?
2: Yeah. So there's, a million out there and they all have different acronyms um (laughs) which can get such
0: life yeah yeah the the alphabet soup
2: it it totally is and i think it gets really confusing for the lay person to kind of understand what you know what and i will just sort of fundamentally say that in general like uh, most of the research um suggests that there's not necessarily one intervention that is better than the other, but really um, the fit between client and therapist, both agreeing that like, that's the lens through which we see it. And that I think that's going to work for me is what predicts a positive outcome in therapy. So I would just say that. If I'm saying something and you're like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, and I would never <laughs> do that, then then that's not the therapy for you. Sure. Um, so the one that I'm trained in and certified in is EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which um, sounds and feels like 100% witchcraft, and <laughs> <laughs> but there's um, decades of really legitimate uh, fundamental research behind it. It's used with the VA, and it's um, I've seen it be incredibly effective and basically it just incorporates movement, eye movements, um, with kind of uh, desensitizing the image and memories of the trauma, um, kind of coupled with um, creating kind of more positive beliefs about yourself and I'm safe or I have choices or I'm worthy, those kinds of things. Um, but uh, there's other ones like prolonged exposure, somatic experiencing, ARC, which stands for attachment regulation and competency. That's one that's mostly used with kids. They start with, you know, get the attachment figured out. And then get them to be able to regulate their emotional experience and then competency in terms of them being like more cognitive stuff. Um, NARM. So there's the neuroaffective relational model. <clears throat> right. So that's the alphabet soup. All of them really tend to focus on exactly what I said. We need to control and regulate the f- and understand the physiology first. And then be able to kind of go into making meaning of what we just experienced and kind of addressing the beliefs that we kind of move forward with. It can be really problematic if the belief I move, if I if I feel constantly dysregulated, if I'm constantly hypervigilant and the belief that I'm moving forward with is I am not safe in this world. That's going to be really hard to live my life that way. And so being able to bring in the capacity to regulate the physiology and desensitize to memories and thoughts, and then be able to also shift that belief into one that is more, I have competency, if there are things I can control, then we're going to have better outcomes, right? So that tends to be the focus of a lot of um, trauma work is getting regulation first, processing the experience at the next level, and then kind of making meaning and moving on. Uh, the the next level, so they all have some kind of iteration of that.
1: Rose, I just had one really important question. First of all, that was wonderfully helpful, and it answered my previous question perfectly. So thank you. Um, you you're originally from Colorado, correct? Yeah, Aurora, Colorado. Aurora, Colorado. Well, we can kind even get into that. Um, I just am like really uh, um, impressed at how Chicago. You said the word competency. <laughs> It was I've a real, also, co- it was a real competency, competency. that came out I, right there. So uh, your your Colorado <laughs> roots are no longer my, showing. My college
2: roommate was from Glencoe, <laughs> and then I moved to Chicago in two thousand three. So I feel like my my Chicago yeah, accent. Twenty years is, will, is, almost is twenty legit. years will do
1: it. It'll it'll ingrained it in there. <laughs> I had to break the tension a little bit, Jerry. You know I had to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure, R- Rose. I, I've I've I, I will also do my usual role in um, put us back on, on track, I guess, but Thank you. uh, <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. You're, you're welcome. So I, I have found, um, this conversation to be incredibly interesting. I mean, obviously it's pretty applicable to what I'm going through right now. So, um, but I just, it takes special people to kind of do what you do I, really, it does. I mean, I, I we sit and listen to people too every single day who bring us problems, um, and and more or less anybody who's had a doctor's appointment knows that you spend time before that doctor's appointment thinking about how you want that doctor's appointment to go, and and, and certainly the people that are seeing you on a on a regular basis are dealing with pretty heavy things, um, and 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 probably are not rationally thinking about them as they would like to be. Um, and so I, I just want to comment on, on the fact that this conversation has really, it just really shows how special of a provider you are. I, I've learned a lot and, and, um, I'm just really happy that I got to meet you and that we were able to kind of, I guess I'm not happy that it happened over these circumstances, but I, I think that there's going to be a lot of value that we can continue. Hopefully you enjoyed our podcast and, and would. Be willing to help us out some more because there's a lot of mental health stuff that we'll want to, you know, cross, cross that bridge when we get there. When people, do you have go to resources for people in these situations? Like, n- like places you send them if somebody's <laughs> like, Hey, can I get more resources or anything like that?
2: Um, I- i think it it depends on the type of trauma for this specific incident for mass shootings um these kinds of things the the fact that there's common referrals that i would continually hand out is just fucking horrifying to me right yeah but Mm -hmm. it's kind of our reality right Um, so there, I mean, there are, the city of Highland Park has for that specific issue, um, an event has a number of really great resources, um, that people can utilize, uh, if you go to the city of Highland Park website, there's just an amazing amount of resources and a a ton of, um, mental health professionals that kind of Uh, They showed up this week, certainly for the crisis and grief counseling, but in an ongoing way are being established um, for continued groups and individual um, services. So that's uh, pretty great. In terms of uh, mental health resources, NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, has great resources for pretty much everything. They have a lot of groups and have listings of, of resource and groups nationally. So if you're, you know, in Missouri or wherever, then you can kind of search what resources are in your state and in your more local area. Um, So they're also a really great resource as well.
1: Thank you, Rose. And I I think as we're kind of winding down here, I would like to kind of touch on and let you have some final, um, final words about, what you really touched on what this is and what Jeremy is experiencing. And I think what let a little bit on a different scale, what we're all experiencing when there are large scale, uh, situations of public violence and what we're all experiencing is grief. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and under or being, being, a, a witness to horrible violence and suffering is a, is a grief process. I know you mentioned grief before, and I would love to have you kind of expound on that as some, some final thoughts about how we wrap up this up and, you know, um, what, you know, how, how do we process that, that grief and, and what, what is that what does that concept of grief mean, mean to you and how can you teach us how to understand it better?
2: Yeah. I, I'm glad you kind of brought us back to that that you know we talk so much about the physiology of it and that's certainly the the first stage in kind of creating some stabilization in our capacity to kind of regulate our own experience but we are kind of left with the grief right because there are some real losses here and maybe it's the very physical and real tangible loss of a person um or an ability if you were injured right and you have a uh, an injury to contend with or or pain Loss of things, loss of places. A lot of people um, have talked uh, to me about how they lost their, like, Main Street, you know? Like, they they can't go back there in the same way. Um, You know, eating some ice cream innocently, you know, on that block like they were used to. And so losing a sense of safety, losing a sense of power and control, um, a lot of parents lost us like vicariously lost a sense of innocence for their children, right? And so, uh being able to recognize that we kind of just kind of go to the same concepts of um a lot of compassion for yourself and a lot of time and slow he- healing and connect- continuing to sort of make meaning of that, but one of the tasks of grief is reconnection, right? Trying to reconnect with what you lost even if it's it, you can't not the way that it was, right? And so reconnecting to a sense of control, whatever that's going to look like, reconnecting to that person that you lost, reconnecting to that place in ways that feel safe to you. Maybe that doesn't mean going back right now, but maybe that means, um, you know, supporting the business by buying some takeout food or something like that and still feeling that you can do something and also being able to empower yourself to do what you can, where you can, when you can. And that doesn't mean that you need to be involved in everything and doing heroic things all the time. Um, but sometimes if all you can control is, you know, being nice to a neighbor, <laughs> showing up somewhere, then then that's what you can control and being able to do that. So empowering ourselves to control what we can control and reconnecting in, in whatever way feels safe to us at any given moment to the things that we lost are really important in being able to continue to to process that grief. And I think the the... the frequency with which this is happening, the mass shootings certainly <clears throat> are kind of no longer anomalies, unfortunately. And certainly in other communities, gun violence in general and mass shootings are not something that is is has been an anomaly in those communities either. It's schools, churches, gatherings in Black and brown communities, certainly in Chicago, have been unsafe places for decades, right? And To imagine the outpouring of help with Highland Park, which is absolutely warranted and and I'm so glad was able to happen, but it only underscores how so many people are experiencing mass violence, gun violence with zero resources and how many communities are just left behind, kids left behind with no resources, no capacity to understand what they're experiencing, what their body is experiencing, their grief, no capacity to connect to a community because the actual community is not safe. And it's it's just astounding to me. The Fourth of July weekend, apart from Highland Park, eight people were killed in Chicago's South and West Side, and sixty-eight people were injured, right, by gun violence. It's mm-hmm. it's a total public health crisis.
0: Amen.
1: So I Like,
2: get 100%. on my soapbox 100%. on that. It's not
1: a soap soapbox. It's it's <laughs> the regular ground that I don't realize just that it's weird that we don't just get to stand on it. Yeah.
2: Trauma and grief, like in these communities that that have that have no resources or, or, or opportunity to even do anything to heal those wounds.
0: It's awesome that the, the, we're a health podcast. And so when we were trying to think about how we approach this, that's exactly, I mean, what you just said over like the last minute was just perfect for, <laughs> for why we thought this was so important. And and this podcast isn't going to fix that problem, but it starts a conversation for anybody listening. It starts a conversation Absolutely. about about trying to figure out the the, the, the mental health and the, the wellness side of, of trauma, not just not just the physical parts of it that that, that get all the attention. So that was great. Yeah,
1: only only we can fix us, right, Rose? And we as <laughs> Is the collective we seriously? Right, you know, I was like, going to
2: say it's the collective we.
1: <laughs> the collective we. Now, just the three people in this room are going to fix the three people. In, well, we're all in different rooms, but yeah, I mean, we need. I think the the answer here. Well, there is no answer, but my answer is radical community building, mm, as, and totally. a, and as small a level as you possibly can. Yeah. Yep or big as levels you possibly can really.
2: But the small, the small is what gets you to big, right? And and that's what I tell people all the time is just go as local. And like I said, smile at your neighbor, like do what you can, where you can, when you can and build on it, let it accumulate, involve yourself in mutual aid communities, involve yourself with communities that have already been doing activism for years and years, (laughs) create opportunities for new activism. That's where we hold the power. And it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying because it's not change that I can affect overnight. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, but it, it is what we can do and yep. and all we can do is what we can do You're here, here.
0: Yeah. I, I think, um, I would be remiss. We, we generally always finish our podcast by doing some sort of like rapid weird, fire. weird rapid fire with our guests. And I don't want this one to be any different because no that's the point we're here to do this um so i i think what i want to ask rose we we haven't once i don't think we get we we were blessed with a single star trek reference so <laughs> I, I guess my question is is you have to pick a star trek character and then maybe tell us also your your like your best your favorite episode i don't know if the second question's fair but i'm going with <laughs> it
2: um star trek uh, I just started watching the Strange New Worlds, and I, I'm I'm a fan so far. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, gosh, Star Trek Two, when uh, Kirk and Electric Spock, Boogaloo, where Spock Kirk, Spock is sacrificing himself for the for humanity, and there they're holding go. each other's hand, and he says, "I have always been." And- ever shall be your friend and, you know, cue the tears of Star Trek nerds everywhere. Um, So that was probably an amazing moment that sticks out in my mind. And Spock is such a great character for, I think always holding that dialectic of being very rational, right. And, and that he needs his emotions, right. And they serve him in in a lot of ways. And so not um, unreasonably, but then I would also say that my, uh, a character who was pretty directly, responsible for my um path in in career was probably star trek the next generation counselor diana troy and how Mm. cool was that to have a sci-fi show that had a therapist on deck as a leadership a member of the leadership team of a starfleet ship that's amazing that mental health was such a priority that they got a seat at the table yeah it's pretty
0: great i don't regret my question at all
1: (laughs) no not at all i think it's amazing i think we should have a whole nother podcast or maybe we should get you on jeff aiken's starfleet academy um (laughs) uh my rapid fire question that was perfect chef's chef's kiss to you rose um what's your what's your self-care blanket you know you're talking about cuddle time and increasing that after <laughs> these terrible things, but like, how does, how does Rose self-care? What's your cuddle time? What's your self-cuddle time? Um, dissociating into phone games
2: <laughs> is, is Same. Pretty, pretty helpful here and there. Uh, when, when that uh, not cutting it, then I think, uh, you know, again, having a kid is, is such a great, uh, you just have no choice. Like they <laughs> demand your attention and time. So you have to do tea party. We, we, we played, um, buffet brunch this morning. So that's mm. clear what I'm teaching priorities I'm teaching my daughter. Um, so I, you know, obviously just kind of spending time with family and just trying to be present in that and playing, I think getting out in nature, we live across from a park, um, those kinds of things, uh, are are helpful, right? And none of it is the magic wand that, especially in situations like this, make you feel amazing and wonderful. But that's the stuff that helps us continue to regulate, connect, uh, you know, in an ongoing way.
1: Maybe having your old
2: pal Julie over to hang out in yeah. the park, having barbecues with Julie, so, yeah, and Jeremy, you're invited.
0: I uh, I definitely want to be there. It would be great.
2: <laughs> you're invited,
0: man. Um, I I just want to um wrap up and say that um we will have. Rose, do you want any contact information for you on the podcast? you want to put it in show notes? Like, How do people find more about you?
2: Um, yeah, so I'm the Intake Director at Midwest Counseling and Diagnostics. We're an a outpatient group therapy practice uh, downtown Chicago, um, and we actually have an office in Northbrook as well. Um, and the quickest way to get a hold of me is just emailing rose, R-O-S-E, at midwestcounseling.com. Um, I'm pretty responsive to it and I handle all the general inquiries for the practice anyway. And so if there's any questions about the practice, questions about me, questions about mental health, um, I am always happy to answer those questions and get people connected. Even if it's not within our practice, I will always just kind of get people connected wherever they need to go because I I just believe that's so important. Our healthcare system is a broken pile of trash and... (laughs) finding our way through it even when you understand the yeah. system and have such an awareness about things like insurance and intake and and who's accept- like it's it's just such a minefield that any I feel strongly <laughs> that if there's anything I can do to help facilitate people getting connected I absolutely will so I'm, I'm happy for people to reach out to me that way and um, I'll do whatever I can to answer questions and help get people connected great hip hip.
0: That's a, that's an excellent endorsement for what we're trying to do here, which is to empower people to, to feel that they can take on the healthcare system and, and have knowledge and, and such. So, um, love that. Um, We'll collect any resources that, uh, that Rose either mentioned or, or certainly gives to us offline and we'll put them in the show notes. And then I think my one call to action for every, for, for you, the listener would be is if this resonates with you in any way, if you could share it with one or two people that you think would resonate with, um, I think the more people kind of think about these things and can have conversation about these things, the better we'll, um, we'll be in position to, to recover and, and, and improve, but at the same time, maybe hopefully also be more prepared for for when trauma uh comes the next time unfortunately so uh with that um more than ever this week julie i have been saying
1: hey man what the health
0: the amazing music is credited to skill cell with pixabay licensure What the Health Podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guests to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.